Hi, this is Sean King, host of My Youth on Record. Have you ever wondered what your favorite musicians were like in high school? My co-hosts and I took that question straight to the artists. You're about to get a candid look into the teenage years of our next musical guest. As someone young listening to this, what what would you say, uh, without giving advice to them particularly, could you give advice to your ninth grade self? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think just as a musician, um, I think it's really important to listen to a lot of different types of music. You know, I think um, I came from such a weird musical influence where, like, I, I wasn't listening to anything mainstream when I joined the Lumineers. Like, I was just basically, there were a couple bands that started to trickle in. One of them was, like, M. Ward, who I think is kind of this great transition into, you know, sort of throwback stuff. But, I mean, the most, like, mainstream person I was listening to was, like, Elvis. <laughs> like, I was listening to jazz standards and barbershop quartets and, you know, musical theater and that type of thing. And so when I joined this band, I had to do this, like, crash course and you know, like, what's cool? Like, what's indie rock? I don't know what this is. Um, and I still feel very, like, I panic. I'm like a total imposter when I'm standing in a group of musicians. I'm like, yeah, totally. That guitar player on that record was awesome. Like, I just, I wish I had more of that in me. That was me. your dude voice, wasn't it? <laughs> At least my cool musician voice, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think exposing yourself to as much music as possible is great because it might not be what you end up liking, but I think you start to figure that out and develop your taste as a musician. And why do I like that record or why do I like, you know, that rhythm or whatever? Um, and making my own record for the first time this past year, it was great to pull from other resources where when you sort of have this vocabulary of like, oh, can we do like an Otis Redding style, whatever, like drums in this section, or can we make the album sound this way? I think the more vocabulary you can have, the better um, musician you are and, and the, the better records you can make. And I think also becoming more malleable to play in people's bands where um, the best way, I think, to describe what kind of sounds you want is to reference other people's stuff. And musicians have been stealing from each other for centuries. <laughs> I think John Williams says, like, the Darth Vader march is directly ripped off from Chopin's funeral march. <laughs> like, it's just what we do. Um, and so I think really taking influence from all different types of music. I wish I had a bigger vocabulary and I'm, I'm trying, but I think it gets harder as you get older to push yourself to listen to music. I should listen to more music than I do. But I think when you're young, you're just like, oh, I want everything. Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where artists share the music they created as teens and the stories behind the songs. Our guest today is Neela Pekarik. Neela is known for vocals and cello in the band The Lumineers. She stopped by today to talk about her music teacher, her hobby of performing in barbershop quartets, and being a woman in the music industry. Can we start with the word um thespian and can we can we go back to high school and and I was a stage tech so I know a little bit and I was in I was in choir and I was in some kid musicals but I think once I got into high school I I I stopped being on that side and I was more of had a backstage role Ooh, so so what uh what can you tell us about musical theater as a kid yeah I uh I was wildly shy growing up. Like I I knew that I was I could sing and I could do those things, but like I think my mom had a little bit of a show pony <laughs> thing about her where she'd be like, Neela, sing for the neighbor and it was just like I'd have to go behind a door, like singing. Um 
I didn't I couldn't sing in front of people and it was really uh, terrifying for me to be up in front of people. And so when I got to high school, I was really interested in musicals. And I think I was described Rent as my gateway musical that got me into musical theater because I wasn't super into like the Rodgers and Hammerstein sort of classics, which now I love that stuff. But it took me a long time. Um, and it was really just the the uh, pure luck of having an amazing choir teacher in high school that um, kind of brought me out of my shell and I didn't go back in. So um, I very vividly remember like my first solo I had in a choir concert and was just like it went well and it, it sort of perpetuates that adrenaline rush that you seek. Um, and it was something that I, uh, I, I wasn't always like the best student. I'm not athletic at all. And I found something that I was like, oh, I'm actually kind of good at this. Um, and sort of ran with it. Yeah, right on. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that teacher. Yeah. Um, so his name's Darren Drown. I went to Overland High School in Aurora, um, and he's actually not Grandview, but um, we still remain really great friends. Um, he directs a women's barbershop chorus down in the Springs that I sing in on Monday nights. <laughs> and he remains a wonderful mentor, um, both just like personally and in, in music world. Like I, I always joke I should have given him all of my college <laughs> dollars because I learned so much from him, um, I think, in a lot of ways more than I did in, in college. But um, he's just a person who was born to be a teacher, and he's so insanely smart. He could have done anything. He was valedictorian, and he's a great trumpet player, great singer, um, and he chose to be a teacher. You know, he could have probably been a doctor. He could have done made a whole lot more money, and he chose to do this amazing public service. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. So many of my friends and, and peers from school would, would describe him the same way, that he's just really impactful as a teacher. Interesting. I have a, I have a question. Um, so I just started teaching here at Youth on Record um, as a partner artist. And so the idea of like being a teacher is jumbles in my brain. Like, what does that mean? How do I rise up to that? And to hear you speak about a person who like just felt right as that teacher, I would love to maybe hear a little bit more about... Um, what made him that way? Like to sure. you, how was there specific things that yeah. he would do in the classroom? Absolutely. I think it was this really amazing balance of demanding really high expectations without being like too strict or mean about it. I don't know where you find that because I had a lot of other music teachers that were so strict and like it didn't make it enjoyable to go to music class, whereas he's super funny and fun to be around, and he's a performer himself, and you can tell when he's up in front of people. Um, but demanding absolute excellence from his from his students, and just like a even a moral compass, I think he's he's a really good person, and he inspires you to be a good person. And I uh, I got a music edu education degree for that reason because I wanted to be that to somebody else, and. Um, I joined a band first, but <laughs> I still try to do a lot of stuff that's in the education field, and just because it was, it was so impactful for me. So you said you weren't you weren't a great student in high school, and I wasn't either. <laughs> Not amazing, for sure. <laughs> and I I don't know. I did have one guitar class that I liked going to and it was first thing in the morning so I didn't mind going to school was there was there something that you had that that was was a motivator because I think it's so easy to just start skipping class sure and was there any kind of motivator uh or what what was it that was your fuel to keep going and and 
Because being a bad student can be really super discouraging. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I also come from a family, like, my sister was a valedictorian. She's super, oh, super brainy and great. Um, so there was certainly the fear of that in my family. But it also, it was absolutely the, the joy of going to music class. And um, and also, again, having that teacher that I think required a lot out of us. And I'm not saying I was, like, failing classes or anything. I just... Um, it wasn't the thing that interested me as much as when I would go home from school, it'd be like pulling teeth to get me to do my homework, but I'd sit down and, you know, learn the chords to a song or whatever it was. And, and that stuff was always just my natural curiosity went towards music class. For most of us, our first band struggles to even find the smallest audience. Neela's first band was the internationally known, Grammy-nominated Lumineers, who were performing in front of tens of thousands and never rattled her. And that has something to do with her love of an art form that most of us only imagine old men in bow ties loving. I also read that you did some quartet stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and then last night I was just watching this documentary about uh, modern music and how the quartet is one of the most fun to write for because it's the most mm, nimble. Interesting. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a, I would say, of. The things I like the most in the world, barbershop quartets, are at the top of the list. Um, same thing. I got involved through my high school choir teacher. He used to direct the big men's chorus called Sound of the Rockies. Um, and it's barbershop is a very unique art form, too, because it's different from other a cappella groups. People always ask, like, what's the difference? And all barbershop groups are a cappella, but not all a cappella groups are barbershop. And it's mostly reliant on the chord structure and um, the fact that there's four parts always. And what's a little bit unique about it is... The melody part in most choral setups or, or groups is usually in the soprano part or the, the highest voice, whereas barbershop, the top voice, the tenor part, they call it, is a, a harmony part. And the lead lies in the melody voice, um, which is much more like a band setup where you have sort of a lead singer and you've got kind of high end and low end around it. Um, but the chord structure is really unique to barbershop and you have to have like a certain amount of dominant seventh chords to make it true barbershop and all these, all these fun rules that I dork out about. But, um, yeah, I, I got involved basically cause I was babysitting, um, my choir teacher's kids when he was going to competition so that, you know, their families could watch and their wives could, could watch the competition. And then I got so into it that I was like, I can't be the babysitter anymore. I got to go watch the competition. And then I started forming my own quartets and competing with those quartets. And um, I still am wildly passionate about it. I go to a chorus on Monday nights. It's like 40 women ages 17 to 80, um, everything in between. And they're just people you wouldn't probably encounter on another aspect of life, I guess. Um, and it's kind of cool. You can, you, especially in <laughs> the, the climate we're in, it's sort of nice to be able to have one really common thing that you may disagree on a lot of other stuff, but you're crazy for this four-part harmony. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, I'm putting a quartet together as we speak. I had auditions on Saturday, so I'm still very involved <laughs> whenever I have a free moment. And you have a, you have an early recording of one of your first Barbershop quartet, yeah, is that true? Yeah, I do. Uh, I wish I had an even earlier one. My very first quartet was when I was 15 years old. We were called the Dynamic Divas. <laughs> and uh, we were terrible. And I wore way too much lipstick. And it was kind of a kind of a disaster. But um, the one I have, uh, I'm sure my mom's got some earlier recordings. But this one was a college quartet called Vogue. And we went to a competition in um, Nashville in 2009. And uh, we won. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. It was an honor. It was. And it was, you know, again, going from those venues, um, we played like at the Bridgestone Arena, like the big hockey arenas where the competition pl 
took place and there's all kinds of people there and all kinds of people watching on a webcast. And having done that, I felt a lot more, uh, I guess, equipped to venture into Lumineer's world and play in front of thousands of people. So I was like, well, I did that once in a quartet, I guess. (laughs) Well, let's have a listen. Great. And and as we're doing this, Neela, please feel free to speak right over it. Okay, cool. Yeah, just let us <laughs> let us know what's going on. Cool. You can fool some people all of the time, and they never do get wise. I admit you fooled me some of the time, but I've opened up my eyes. Goody goodbye, bye bye. You can't see this, but we're doing choreography at this point. I must have been dumb, dumb as they come to believe you from the start. Good good luck to you and to the other. I mean the one you kept undercover. Take a good good look in the good good book. There's a good good reason why. It's goodbye, bye bye, good goodbye, bye bye, good good luck. To you and to the other, I mean the one you kept undercover. Take a good good look in the good good book. There's a good good reason why it's goodbye, bye bye, bye good goodbye, bye baby, so long, goodbye. That was intense. Yeah, it's intense for sure. Like, like, (laughs) I. I'm speechless. Oh, God. <laughs> that's amazing. <I> yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It's something that's so unique to what it is. and, and um, That takes massive control. It's crazy. Yeah. Vocal acrobats, really. Um, and it's such a range of high to low. And, and I think when people think of barbershop quartets, it's like straw hats and, and, you know, garters on your sleeves and these sort of old men doing it. And there's that certainly exists in barbershop world. But I think uh, it's sort of the skill that has to go behind it is it kind of gets forgotten in that like stereotypical. And, and the three women who are on that recording with mm-hmm. you, who's, who's that? Uh, yeah, so that's Ruthie Harden, who I'm currently singing in a quartet with, and we've been in quartets ever since then, basically, various groups, and she sings the lead part, amazing, just melody voice. Erin um, Cardine sings the high part. She now lives in Phoenix, and so you kind of end up having these friends all over the place. And then um, Ashley Espinoza lives in Florida, and she sings with the voices of liberty at disneyland as a job as her day job and she's an amazing singer um and all like still really great friends so you i think people always say you come for the music and you stay for the friendships because it's such a sort of cult (laughs) thing and you you run into the same people over and over and um you know people ask me a lot like what if you could just do barbershop for a living and i actually love that you keep it precious as this sort of hobby-based thing um because even if you win these competitions it's not enough to like sustain a full a full life um but it's more we do it because we're crazy and we spend the money to do it and it's great and i think there's something a little bit precious about it that it's not to become famous or get a paycheck or or any of those things it's just for the love of the music Women in predominantly male industries have their own challenges. Neela is no exception. She talked about her struggles in the music industry with local musician Mona Licious. Mona is the leader of Youth on Records Fem Powered, a program where young women learn from other women in the industry. How, how is it to be 
in a band and travel uh, with a group of all women as opposed to <laughs> a group of not all women. It is very different. It could not be more different. Um, and, you know, I I didn't really, I didn't grow up with brothers. I was like a theater kid. I was a teacher. I think those all were a lot of female intensive environments. And so when I did join this band and an industry that's very male dominated, there were a lot of learning curves and a lot of um, growing pains for us as a band. And and I, I just had never been so aware of being a woman. Um, and of course, we're also in this <laughs> environment um, where a lot of people I think of are like, wait, that's <laughs> that's a thing that's happening to me as a woman on a daily basis and putting words with, with things that are happening constantly. Um, and so I, uh, I would say they're really different experiences for sure. And, um, I think the best option is to have a mixture of both (laughs) is what I can say about that. Yeah. My bandmate Jeannie, she laughs about how sometimes she just wants to lower her voice. Like, (laughs) Hey, where's catering tonight? Sure. Because it's, she's convinced that that she's not heard as much, and she's yeah. like, she's like, I don't know if it's like the register of Maybe my voice. Maybe it's a physical or, thing. But uh, <laughs> we've talked a lot about how how strange the industry is, and and um, it's I think it's gotten better, and at the same time, uh, it's she she's had plenty of stories on the mm-hmm. road as far as being treated a certain way with. From from loading in to being being not not making eye contact with oh, and not that's not so ex- validating. Yeah. I'm sorry she's had that experience, but it's so validating to hear that other people go through that. Cause yeah. that's my total experience all of the time. Yeah, in a band. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I just I after working with her for almost 20 years now, I just I can't imagine not having um, not having a band with with. Just just being driving around the country with a bunch of dudes. Just yeah, having that female awful presence. To me. yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think if if I had uh, done it differently, it would be it would have been nice to have another gal with me in in the band. But um, I think that's the most important thing is is having your male counterparts understand those things, and even if they can't empathize, just understand that they're happening and and helping give voice. Because for better or for worse, we. The way to dismantle that misogyny that's instilled in in our society, I think, is to have men help women have their voices heard. And maybe at some point we won't need that help, but it's it's great to hear from your perspective of like I you're hearing these experiences, and um, you know I think that it's a great explanation of like is it just the timbre of my voice you physically can't hear? I don't um, because it is. I, I think having having um, those allies is is really important. I Mona, agree. Do you have any females in your band? No. It's hard, right? I I made well, you go ahead. I would love to hear <laughs> what you have to say. I just uh so I've I've put together a band for a solo project I'm working on and I worked really hard to try to put women in my band. And by circumstance of like I knew a great guitar player and he said I know a great drummer and a great bass player and they came in and they're awesome, but they're all straight white dudes and I'm like no. <laughs> and I think if if the, you know, circumstance brought it where I had like a blind audition and a bunch of people came in, whoever played the best got the got the position, that would be great. But, um, you know, and I think Denver is a not as diverse place as some other places. But, um, you know, I, it bums me out that I don't have any women in my band and I don't have any people of color in my band um, because I do. I think it's important to give those opportunities, but it's also like there's so many great musicians that it doesn't really matter what our genders are. And so it bums me out. 
but they're great and I love them and they're great players. So it's tough. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that I do have a desire to form a band with other women. Mm -hmm. I already have a name. We're going to be called the Photosynthesistas. Oh my gosh, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, if you need a child player, I know one. Oh, <laughs> nice. Um, I'll maybe hit you up on that. <laughs> Great. I don't even, I, it, I planted the seed. I have mm-hmm. no idea what this project's going to look like or yeah. the parts or the sound. Yeah. But I play in a, um, with two men. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to say it, is quite nice because they're like in their 30s um playing with young men who are like as old as me when i was like 19 totally different story Mm -hmm. not as fun logistically (laughs) sure sure having maturity helps some things yes (laughs) totally because then even that solidarity um Mm -hmm. these the men that i am in a band with now um they just have like respect for women it's really and important. And developed yeah. that. Totally. So. It's super important. And I think it's great that we're having those conversations. And the best thing I felt that I could do was just communicate when things happened, where I was like, did you see that that person didn't make eye contact? Or did you see that, you know, I felt unsafe in that situation? And mm-hmm. communicating those things as opposed to, I think, we're often taught as women to kind of hold things in and and kind of diffuse awkward situations. Which is interesting because I, I feel like the way women are treated in most industries has nurtured how I choose to like hold myself in situations. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I feel like when I was a teen, I noticed this like dismissive energy towards women. Mm. I was like, Oh no, not me. That's not going to (laughs) happen. I'm sorry. I have like (laughs) things to say that are of value and I have things to offer. And um, yeah, it's like reflecting in this moment saying like, that has kind of like created my personality in a certain way. Sure. That like just makes me want to stand up and clap. That's <laughs> really, really great. <laughs> and I'm glad you feel that way. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm not a ton older than you, but even what I'm doing will help younger female musicians have a place and have a voice and, and not feel like it's a novelty to have a woman in a band. So often I'm like mistaken for someone's wife or girlfriend where they're like, do you know where the band is? I'm like, I'm right here, (laughs) which is super frustrating. And, um, especially as side players in a band, I think there's a lot of front female women, um, which is still presents its own issues. But I think as side players in a band, um, we've toured with a lot of bands that have plenty of, you know, guitar players and drummers that are female and same thing with them where, you know, they, they don't get treated like they're in the band the way their their male counterparts do. My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record, a Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens in Youth on Record's programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org. Well, Leela, thank you so much for being oh, here. Oh, gosh. It was such an honor. I think this organization is wonderful, so I'm happy to do it. I hope something was interesting <laughs> that I said. <laughs> thank you so much for having me.